Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. So today on the show, we're going to discuss the Silence of the Lamb universe. Silence of the Lambs, actually. That includes four books, five films, and two television series. Uh, we're going to discuss the main relationship at the core of the story between Clarice and Hannibal, but also, obviously, as we do here on the show, we're going to dissect the fictional character of Hannibal Lecter, who's portrayed as a serial killer in most of the properties, the four novels, five films, and one of the television series. However, we would say, as most people would, The Silence of the Lambs universe also includes the new show, Clarice, but Hannibal is not a character in that series, and that was decided by a legal issue. <laughs> they don't have the rights to talk about Hannibal or portray him in any way. Uh, we're actually discussing we'll just we're discussing the episodes of Clarice in an ongoing way uh like every other week kind of thing uh on our Friday shrink chat show actually so check that out if you're watching that too we we chat about it so a disclaimer as always we're not diagnosing anyone in the discussion we're just speculating on what we read see and know from our field and what might be the case psychologically in the characters and the films we discuss. Uh, if you like this sort of discussion, please subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, and consider supporting us on Patreon. We have a lot of fun with our patrons. We appreciate them very much. And we have a Discord where we watch movies, and it's it's actually a good time. It's it's really, I mean, I, don't, I know Kathy likes it too. Like, we really just feel like our community is a really Awesome. Yeah. I just like is. everyone individually quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, the links are in the description for this episode as well as on our website at terratalkpodcast.com. If you have a topic you want us to talk about, just email us at terratalkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. So the movies that we're going to incorporate into this discussion today, or the properties, I should say, are Manhunter, 1986, Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Hannibal, 2001, Red Dragon, 2002, and Hannibal Rising, 2007. Uh, we actually did a full episode on Hannibal the series, which was 2013 to 2015, so check that out as an adjunct to this. We're not going to go too deep into the series, but I'm sure it'll get mentioned here today because we literally just did that episode a few months ago and watched the full series. And also um, Clarice's... Uh, 2021 and i believe there are three episodes in mm -hmm. i've watched the three but again we're going to talk about that on shrink chat so um by the way this is your official spoiler alert for all of these movies we're, we're getting into it <laughs> we're gonna go there because we just watched them all and so and they're pretty old so can i give you, you a little a little um little trivia with shan real quick <laughs> please do by the way trivia with shan is something we do on patreon so she's um, actually, it's just more of a, a fact. I just thought this was so, it just tells you so much about um, how many people love the character of Hannibal Lecter. The total box office mm -hmm. um, income for all, for all five of the movies that you just mentioned. Yeah. 921,486,656. You see why they made so many. <laughs> That is a lot of money. You see why they made all the books, right? Like, even though, as we'll get into it, some of the books are lesser than others. Yeah. I mean, people just are fascinated. I would 
guess that a lot of that came from the first three, although Hannibal yeah, was then very disappointing. So I feel like Silence of the Lambs was probably that's a big part of that's a big, a big part chunk of, it, of it. But I also think like Red Dragon and Hannibal, those yeah. two. Manhunter actually didn't do as well as they wanted it to. No, yeah. it didn't. And and I think can I think Red Dragon and Hannibal had a lot of star power mm-hmm. and they have some very good performances in them. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see how they would have made a lot of money yeah. too. And, and probably in rentals and everything now for people like us that are going back and just sort of looking at it as a universe, as we do with everything now, mm-hmm. <laughs> Marvel universe, you know, everything's a universe, star Wars universe. So this is the, uh, silence of the lambs universe. So I guess, Let's do, let's kind of go through the films a little bit first. And then we'll, as we go through the films, obviously we'll be bringing up a lot of things. And, and then we would definitely get to kind of a um, psychological portrait or what we think about Hannibal Lecter is certainly going to be a part of that. So. I also want to just have a discussion with you as we go through this. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in, that in depth, but who you preferred playing these characters. Yeah, because yeah. we have like three different actors to, for, for for some sure. of the main characters. I mean, we have three Clarice, mm-hmm. we have three Will Grams, we have three Hannibal Lecters, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And I'm and at the end too, I have a little bit of a thought process around like if you're going to read the books and, or watch the movies sort of order-wise, maybe a little recommendation around like how you should read them. People are always asking that, like, mm-hmm. okay, how, like, I've never watched all of these in order. So, mm-hmm. or as a, as a chunk, how should I do that type of thing? So I have some thoughts about that and I'm sure you do too. So um, let's start with the 19, ni- 1986 Manhunter. So it's it, American neo-noir psychological thriller film written and directed by Michael Mann and based on, who was a big deal back in the day, um, and based on the 1981 novel Red Dragon by Thomas Harris. It stars William Peterson as FBI profiler Will Graham, a little, a little you know, precursor to his CSI <laughs> Days, right? I've always really liked him. I really liked him on CSI. Um, he did a. He was also in a movie with Reese Witherspoon back in like nineteen ninety six called Fear. He played the dad. Mm. He was the dad in Fear. I don't know that I've ever seen that. It's a good one. It's a good thriller. It's a good nineties thriller. We might be able to do. You know, so so this movie I haven't. I don't know. I'm sure I watched it. Like. In the nineties or something at some point, <laughs> Manhunter. Yeah, um, but I didn't really remember. I hadn't I mean, watched all of it, all the like parts of it I had seen. I mean, as I watched it, I obviously knew the story um, from the from seeing Red Dragon, and I. But while I was watching it, what I I went in intentionally blind to it as preparing for this episode because I thought like, okay, well. Let's just, I love that feeling of like, mm-hmm. of like, I know this is an old movie, but I know I haven't seen it a lot. So, um, as, a, as the story progressed, I was like, oh, this is Red Dragon. <laughs> Cause right. I didn't even remember, I didn't read anything about it. I mm-hmm. just put it in. Yeah. It's the original Red Dragon. I wanted to mention, yeah, exactly. I wanted to mention also that Dennis Farina is in it. Um, mm-hmm. he plays Jack Crawford. So we've got several mm-hmm. Jack Crawfords as well. He plays Jack Crawford. Um, Brian Cox. Brian Cox was a good Hannibal. I thought is Hannibal Lecter. Like before you know Anthony Hopkins, he's anyway, awesome. I, I, he's he's 
terrifying. Well, well and he's an excellent actor. He so he just plays Hannibal uh, less contained. Yeah. So I think for me, Anthony excels in this role and plays this kind of super villain. And that containment is really a part of that. Um, well, and, yeah, Anthony's character is much more, you can sympathize with him more. He's much more charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this is much much more of like a primal, I don't know, Hannibal, I guess. Right, and I know it didn't do particularly well at the box office, but what did you think sitting and watching this? I thought it was, I, I, I'm always, I always love the originals. So as much as I loved, um, actually, I'll take that back, as much as I liked Red Dragon, and I thought the performances and the effects in Red Dragon were really great. I liked Manhunter. I thought that the the soundtrack is so flipping good. Oh, good. Um, and I say that only because I, I love when they choose songs that really like get your heart racing, and they it, it helps you know manipulate the affect and what you're feeling and it reminded me a lot of like the show, the Americans, they, uh-huh. they chose really intentional artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was like Leonard Cohen, Peter Gabriel, those, and, and those are songs that tend to have like really big drum beats and really, and they did the same thing for Manhunter. They chose a lot of these really sort of uh, odd eighties bands, but had like an intensity to it. And every time there was a scene whether it's with the Tooth Fairy or with Will Graham, the soundtrack, I think really, for me, it made the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So without that, it might have fallen a little bit yeah, more I mean, flat. it would have been okay, but I, I think the the soundtrack really intensified the suspense and I'm always like looking for a good soundtrack <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed this movie too. And I, I have to say I enjoyed it for its kind of period piece yeah. vibe. I also enjoy those actors that we just mentioned. So it was enjoyable from that way. And it's got a very 1986 way about it, you know? So if you like movies from that era, you'll see all of the sort of tropes and vibe of the 1986 kind of crime thriller. (laughs) Um, So I enjoyed it for that. If you don't like that sort of thing, you probably wouldn't like this movie because it does have that like all over it. It doesn't mm-hmm. um, it doesn't read like it's 2020 right <laughs> or even 2005. <laughs> yeah. So um, but I, I really and, and that neo-noir kind of mm-hmm. piece of it is also um, really enjoyable. I know it. When I was reading about reviews and stuff, like the original reviews, it got pretty mixed reviews. Yeah, it got whatever you can, reviews. You can see how it wouldn't have been anything to shake a stick at necessarily, but a very enjoyable watch. And Joan Allen, a young Joan Allen's in it too. We forgot to mention <laughs> that. Right. Yeah, she That's plays right. the Tooth Fairy's love interest. Um, <laughs> she was great. She was really great. Yeah. And so I enjoyed the performances. Just like you said, I enjoyed the the sort of time capsule piece about it and the and the soundtrack was really cool so it's a fun movie to watch it's it's not as terrifying or in depth as something like silence of the lambs or red dragon but yeah it's just i don't know yeah csi like (laughs) well yeah we're also watching it with all that context Mm -hmm. of him older and stuff so it was kind of fun to see him younger and i like will graham's character a lot yeah like throughout throughout the series Mm -hmm. and and i i think that 
Hugh Dancy is my favorite Will Graham. Oh, okay. Yeah, from the series. Mm-hmm. I thought, because he's so... Oh, my God. He's, he's so good. He's such a quirk. He, he plays it so well. Well, and he's so fleshed out because it's a three-year exactly. series. Yeah, so you really get to... Yeah. If you like the character, you actually really get to know him and care about him. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah. Ed Norton was awesome, too, but I think that yeah. was still much more about Ray Fiennes. But in the Hannibal series, you really get to see, like, their love affair. Yeah, so why don't why don't we jump to Red Dragon just because it's the same sure. movie basically. Red Dragon is came out in 2002 and it's considered a psychological horror film um based on the same novel. It was directed by Brett Ratner and written by Ted Talley. Also, all these big names. So many people in this. Produced by Dino De Laurentiis, you know like the, and oh my god, yeah. So Ed Norton plays Will Graham, as Kathy was just saying. Hannibal Lecter is played by Anthony Hopkins. Um, Ray, Ray Fiennes. Fiennes plays Francis Dollarhide. Harvey Keitel, Emily Watson, Mary, uh, Mary Parker. Lou Parker, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean... It's a big cast. Huge. What do you... I remember seeing this in the theater. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember really being pretty blown away by Ray Fiennes' performance in this he's i mean the reason to see this movie is of course anthony hopkins but also but uh, but like ray fines is i think what happened was after manhunter silence of lambs and hannibal they knew they had to bring in because there wasn't like the tooth fairy in manhunter wasn't as dramatic obviously as it was in red dragon so i think after those three they had to bring in a new buffalo bill because oh, for sure, because uh, Hannibal's character alone wasn't going to carry it anymore, and so they, I think that's why they reinvented this. It was just to kind of wake up that beast, literally and figuratively. And um, the storyline of this for me is whatever. Like the, the the actual Red Dragon story is whatever. But I remember the performances is what it was more for me. Like uh, Ray Fiennes was pretty terrifying in this. Yeah, he's terrifying, and he's also. Uh... Like, you can see how people are drawn into him. He's 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 a very sad character too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see how anybody with a caregiver or a caretaker issue mm-hmm. um, is going to want to pursue him because he keeps there's he keeps everything under the vest. There's just like. But but what you don't realize, which we've talked about on the show many times, is that there isn't actually really anything there. But people are like mining for what's underneath when there's not a lot mm-hmm. underneath left mm-hmm. of his humanity. Right. Um, it's all delusion. And you know what I'm fine. I found too sitting and watching these movies is like, and we're going to get more into this later, but whereas Hannibal Lecter is a um, unrealistic supervillain, almost comic book character level, um, non-human, he doesn't have uh, any of the characteristics we would have in like psychopathy. I mean, a few, a couple, yeah. but not a, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't meet criteria for any of the things we normally talk about. Right. But But because of that, the characters in, the, and I think Thomas Harris probably did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that, and because of that, his other characters, the Buffalo Bills and the uh, Tooth Fairies and Clarice Starling and all these other characters that are, are so human and so um, resonant, I think. And 
Ray Fine's portrayal of the tooth fairy absolutely is congruent with that statement. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like those characters, the people that Hannibal Lecter manipulates to do his bidding and such, and as the person that's actually the quote unquote bad guy or the antagonist in each story, I think are very mentally ill and meet criteria for lots of things. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm looking up um, some of the psychopathy checklists as we're talking right now and just going through some of that. Yeah, I have them in front of me for when we talk about Hannibal, Um, so we're good. Yeah. No, I was just just thinking for myself as we were going through this. Um, I think that you're absolutely right. There's such a a polarity between Hannibal's character and these other villains that um, it does sort of shine a light on his ability to... um, self-restraint and Mm -hmm. you know things that we don't typically see for sure so the tooth fairy is delusional yeah um like autistic maybe he's certainly um either that or there's almost like like a like a schizotypal or something about him where because he's you know it's interesting that he he's um what's the word i'm looking for he strategically finds this blind woman Right. So like there's a safety because she can't see him. Yeah. And he wants to be close to her at the same time. He's terrified of being close to her. And there, so there's, and then there's that just proclivity to, um, paranoia and delusion. So I see him almost more like schizotypal with Mm -hmm. like those psychopathic traits. Mm -hmm. Um, and, He's and real organized. Bizarre. Yeah, like, very organized. Like m- most of them in, yeah. in this in this universe. Right. Um, organized, you know. And he gets really upset when she, you know, is potentially seeing someone else or entertaining someone else. Well, and he just creates that all in his mind. He that's does. Per- in both movies, that's portrayed mm-hmm. as if there was like an innocent thing happening where, you know... Um, a coworker is like getting an eyelash off your face or a coworker is um, just standing close to you at the door. And I'm not saying that those coworkers in this movie didn't have ulterior motives on her. They definitely did. They liked her, but nothing was actually going on. In other right. words, she wasn't complicit or wanting to kiss them or doing anything like that. But then, you know, the tooth fairy sort of stands outside of that and just sees anyone like, and then, what I get out of that is that psychologically speaking, he's so infuriated by, because of his self-esteem issues, um, which are obvious from day one and are obvious in all of Harris's characters that are these secondary killers or secondary to Hannibal, I would say, or more realistic, actually more mm-hmm. realistically portrayed serial killers in these stories. Um, they're all, they've all got, incredibly high like self-esteem issues and are are sort of driving from that place Mm -hmm. in in their work so Mm -hmm. to speak their serial killer work so yeah he just gets like yeah ravaged but yeah Ray Fiennes is awesome he's really good and I remember reading about like the seven hours of makeup to put those tattoos on yeah he's got like a full body tattoo and you get to see his bum yeah he's got a nice body yeah, this, he's in great shape in this movie. That way, yeah, yeah. No, this is like a heyday for him too. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of the height of his. It fame. was. It was like, uh, yeah, because it was 
Oh, it was like what what year is this Red Dragon? Oh no, I guess 2002. it was I guess it was significantly after Schindler's List, but yeah. um, he it was in that it was in that decade where he was just like the English patient and On all of that fire. stuff was yeah. Yeah, like definitely in his in his jam. Mm-hmm. Um so I didn't mind this movie. Yeah, it's all right. You know, I I really didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. I I wasn't freaking out at how long all these movies are like two hours long yeah so i wasn't freaking out about that with this one i enjoyed it mm-hmm. uh so silence of the lambs mm. is of course the big um Megilla here so silence of the lambs is came out in 1991 psychological horror like the rest of them uh directed by jonathan demi written by ted talley Adapted from the 1988 novel of the same name, starring Jodie Foster, Ted Levine, and Anthony Hopkins. Can we talk about a soundtrack? Yeah, right. Talk about a movie. It's so atmospheric. Very much so. So I haven't read all the books, but I have read this book. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that um, it was a long time ago, though, so I'm not in the business of being able to say, like, what's different and all of that this time because it's too long ago. But I will say that, of course, everybody says this is the best movie of all the movies. And this is also the best book of all the of mm-hmm. all the books. So it just makes sense <laughs> that it would be the best movie. Um, I actually have the Criterion Collection of this movie. And I want to just put a shout out to anybody who loves this movie and wants to dig a little deeper. Um, there's a couple of commentaries on there. Um, one of the commentaries is with Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Jonathan Demi, and um, John Douglas, the FBI consultant, and Ted Talley. So there's a lot of really this great This is a Jonathan stuff. Demi, right? Yes. He did this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I would say if you're into it, get the Criterion Collection because it's two discs. It's got that. It's got a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's actually got an updated commentary from 2005 and the original commentary. So that to say, I listened to it in preparation for this, for us having this conversation. And I just remember it's really good. So yeah, I would check it out because one of the things, and I'll, this is my just my opening thought for this, is that. Jodie Foster talks a lot about the things that I love, which is the way story is crafted after mythology. And so she talks about the female hero Mm -hmm. and the reason why she wanted to play this Mm -hmm. and how um, Demi had told her um, about, even though Jodie Foster was like the second choice for this movie, um, that about the, talk to her about the female hero and about how, um, it was just she wanted to go on that journey because there were, you know, Jodie Foster. She's a total um, advocate for women in film and um, not being portrayed in the same way we are always portrayed. And so she talks on the commentary a little bit about that. And this about, was 1991. So exactly yeah. about how rare a character it was to find um a movie and a character that wasn't defined by a relationship with a male mm-hmm. at this time. Totally. She's a standalone character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though he has this obsession and all, it's really more about his projections and his love for her. She's just trying to 
get through this case. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, yeah. she's funny. She mentioned something about, she, um, she says she get, this is an old commentary. So it was like right after the movies was made and stuff. So she was saying <laughs> that in, you know, when, interviews and on the street and stuff from people she'd get asked if Clarice has a boyfriend like in her backstory or in her story like does she have a does Clarice have a boyfriend um (laughs) and Jody was just like as if women in the movies needed to have a boyfriend to matter like people would all people when the movie first came out in 91 and she would have all these interviews like people would ask her like do you think that Clarice you know these like innocent kind of interviewers <laughs> saying yeah. like hey do you, know, you know and it was funny because jody said like who the fuck cares like women are dying and you would never ask that question of a male in a war film no was her answer that's a great answer so i just wanted to share that with you <laughs> in case anybody was wondering the same thing she should have said no she had a girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> right um no but it, it is it, but defined by someone else defined by somebody else not and relevant yeah it has nothing to do with her character in fact her family and her upbringing and all of that is much more relevant to the depth of her character than any significant other and it's written into the script it's written yeah. into the book it's, it's it's very the very nature of the character is that um well, so in talking a little, we said we were going to talk a little bit about the relationship and uh, my understanding from reading and listening to the people who made this film is that, you know, Hannibal is Clarice's mentor through this. And also she's the, and I believe it was Jody who said like, she's the only one that sees him as human. She she teaches him boundaries, but she sees him as human, and they have that sort of intimate, respectful, polite, back-and-forth relationship. It's not that he wouldn't eat her if he had the chance, but he does have the chance later, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So you really know that, like, he respects her boundaries in many ways, um, and she respects him and t- and. And treats him with that respect. And I think that's why he doesn't eat her mm-hmm. or doesn't want to ultimately. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Um, what's your perspective on their relationship? I uh, so, I mean, everything that you just said made sense. I think that, um, you know, if, if we're talking, I know we're talking about a fictional psychopath here because he doesn't meet all that criteria. But I do think that she was the one person that also gave him meaning mm-hmm. and purpose. And, you know, when I was digging through some of some of the arguments that people were having online of, as to whether Hannibal was a nihilist or not. And um, in some ways I believe he is. And I feel like she was one person. We'll get into Hannibal rising and we'll talk more about his history and, and how he was raised and how he lost everything. You know, he also lost a sister and there, there's there's so much I think um, that she represents to him mm-hmm. um, because underneath all of this, he has an attachment to her very much, and so. I don't think he really has an attachment to anybody else in any sort of, um, you know, not that it was healthy, but healthy-ish. Like you said, anyone else he he might manipulate or use or eat. <laughs> 
Um, I think he responds to the respect. Yeah. And I, I think Hannibal, one of the codes that Hannibal lives by is if that you, if you respect him and you're a respectable person in the world, you treat people with politeness. Because mm-hmm. you'll notice even in, um, in Hannibal, you know, when, when, um, uh, people insult Clarice or whenever he sees her like derided in the press or any of that. Um, he'll kill and eat the people who are doing that. Like he's a protector of hers and he gets very upset when you don't treat people with the respect. Right. And we see that in Hannibal rising with the woman mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I also think too, that he didn't really respect many people. I mm-hmm. think he, he felt that a lot of people were trying to outsmart him. Mm-hmm. And so that's some, I think somewhere of his narcissism comes into is she's sort of at that caliber. I think he believes um, where most other people around him, he knew he could outsmart and he, he did. He respected her intelligence. He respected her position mm-hmm. and he was in love with her. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, once you know the backstory of Hannibal Rising, which is about how he had a sister and the sister died and all that, you see where that, yep. where that comes in, where it's the, he's got this projection of mm-hmm. her as sister and family. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, Hannibal is characterized as being like the smartest human being on earth kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's not narcissism on his part. It just is. And that's one of the things that makes like him, you know, when we get into talking about is he a psychopath or not? And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that he does or doesn't meet that criteria is that certainly, as we know, above average intelligence is one of the, the features of an organized serial killer. But like, he's not just above average no he's <laughs> he's yeah. considered you know like in the book and everything like a savant like, yeah, yeah and that's why he's more comic book hero right. than than realistic mm-hmm. serial killer is that he is smarter than everyone else and i think that's one of the fascinations that we have with him is mm-hmm. that he is smarter than us mm-hmm. and will always be and will always outsmart everyone in the movie and i think that's one of the ways that audiences like live vicariously because none of us live our lives that way right <laughs> and so it's very like even when you watch him in the series and the way that he sits with patients and he always has this very polished response to everything they say first of all no psychologist or therapist does. no no he's perfect um, but he's he is perfect <laughs> and and so there's there are levels of that that he's <laughs> fully aware of and um, won't settle for anything less. But it's also just sort of what he's always known. His father raised him that way. So I think there's there's levels, just like there are to all of us, of narcissism within his character. But to me, he's not an overtly narcissistic person, which is really interesting. And I know we'll get into the breakdown of his of his character, but I think he's he's really responding to everything that happened to him. I mean, we all do. Yeah. But not in a way that I think many people maybe believe he's portrayed because he isn't that overtly impulsive, narcissistic psychopath. And he's somewhat likable and not in a, I know sometimes, you know, psychopaths can be seductive, but not even in that way. That's that's, not what it is. That's exactly right. I mean, I agree with you. Um, that's, that's absolutely not what it is. And, um, yeah, let's make sure to talk. Let's just mention these other movies and then we'll get back into this. Silence of the Lambs. 
obviously our favorite and really did well the box office and the critics i mean it won academy awards and things so obviously and and really influential and um broke a lot of barriers honestly and then hannibal hannibal was 2001 mm-hmm. living in exile dr hannibal lecter tries to reconnect with the now disgraced fbi agent clary starling I think that the series did a much better job at this part of, so this is a, you know, mm-hmm. two hour snapshot of yeah. the end of the Hannibal series on television, the, the television series. Yeah. And I just feel like the series did such a better job. Yeah. If we didn't have the series to compare it to, this would still not be like an awesome movie necessarily. Um, and it got a little too campy at the end for me and it you know it, it misses some marks yeah but um it's ridley scott yeah uh david mamet was part of was like wrote the screenplay i mean like hello anthony hopkins julianne moore gary oldman like it is heavy he's hitting. he plays mason so well he's though so gary oldman's so flipping and I, rem- I i do remember seeing this movie um I don't know if it was in the theater or not, but I do remember. I, d- I saw it in the theater. I remember seeing it first, like yeah. when I first saw it. And I, I I didn't think it was bad when I first oh, saw we, it. Th- when I went to see it, there were so many people laughing in the theater, especially yeah. the last 10 minutes. Everybody's like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it lost people. Oh, no, the last part for sure. It lost. Like it up just, until then? Yeah, up until then right. it was, it was it, it's, it's. It's okay. I mean, I just liked all the actors. Yeah. So I just liked watching them. I wasn't, um, I probably wasn't as critical of things at that point in my life as I maybe am now. And I certainly didn't know as much about well, movie making either. So you have to think it was a decade after Silence of the Lambs. So yeah. there was a big, there were a lot of expectations and it just didn't deliver. And, no. you know, you have Julianne Moore coming in to play Clarice after Jodie Foster's performance. And Julianne Moore is a great actor, but that was tough. she's my least favorite Clarice. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember thinking like, oh, this isn't going to go well. Yeah, she's a redhead. Even though I thought she was great as an actress. Sure, she's great. And I great. thought she did well in this part. Of course, she does everything well. She's a very competent actress. But there was nothing that resembled that nostalgia that I think a lot of people wanted. Yeah, which I guess is kind of what they're going after in the new series. Mm-hmm. The yeah, series. she, she definitely going sounds after, and looks more like Jodie Foster. They're going yeah. after a more of a mimic, which, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then Hannibal Rising, 2007 horror film and the fifth film in the Hannibal Lecter franchise. Uh, it's the last novel and basically it's the upbringing. In other words, Hannibal rising, meaning his upbringing. And so it starts when he was a kid and it goes through the development of Hannibal as a person. And I can see why Harris went this direction as far as wanting to, to give people the story of Hannibal, Hannibal came, became the way he came, uh, became like, I get it. Like that's a, it's a, it's a solid idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely, um, a novel that is meant, to, uh, and a movie certainly as well, but certainly in the novels, it's meant to be read last. So as far as, how you read the novels if you read them and i have already admitted i haven't read all of them but 
I believe that Hannibal Rising is meant to be read after you already know the adult Hannibal. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, a lot of series or movies, you know, Star Wars, et cetera. It's like, oh, you can do the chronological order or you can do the the way they were made order and all this. People get really into this like nerdtastic way of kind of rewatching and stuff. And I would say if you're going to read these novels, don't don't read them out of order like read read them in publication order because i i do even though this is chronologically the first novel hannibal rising like it's his his upbringing it's definitely meant like i think it's supposed to be reflective yeah and it's also supposed to deliver which we can debate whether it does or not it's also supposed to deliver the origin story if you were to watch this in isolation without watching the i mean it was already a really slow movie Mm -hmm. but if you were to watch this and try to do it in that sort of order, it would be, yep. it would really fall flat. Like it, there's not a lot to this film. Right. Agreed. You so. have to have all the other context to go, Oh, okay. That's why he protected Clarice. And that's why you have to have all those characters. That's first. the thing that makes this movie at all. Like I think, um, yeah, we're alluding to it, but what did you think of this movie? I mean, it, it's just, it's more like a, a war story. I mean, he, you know, mm-hmm. he essentially gets, torn away his parents die and torn away from his sister during world it's world war ii right mm-hmm. and um it's just it really is the origin of his cannibalism and how he you know develops into the person we now know as hannibal lecter mm-hmm. and so and there's a lot i mean there's clearly a lot more i'm oversimplifying it but it's it's not what people are expecting it's much more of just a war drama than than a psychological thriller i mean there's some cannibalism and some blood in there but there there's blood and war stories all the time maybe not so much cannibalism but you know i mean it's 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 fine yeah i mean they call it a horror movie which it's fine i do think i do think that this movie is more of a horror movie than it is a psychological thriller so i think that moniker is probably correct um it's just in this franchise we're used to seeing psychological thrillers and so having just kind of a relatively strict horror movie eh, eh. yeah (laughs) Uh, i would so here's here's my just my overarching thought of this movie is that one of the reasons why i don't feel like it succeeds is because of what we're going to kind of break down about Hannibal Lecter. So we're, if we're going to break down about Hannibal Lecter, that he actually isn't a realistic serial killer uh, in the way he is written. In other words, he doesn't, doesn't fit enough of the criteria of psychopathy or sociopathy. He doesn't really fit any social personality disorder. He doesn't fit narcissistic personality, you know, like he doesn't fit into any of the little boxes that we would put, different types of serial killers in. So given that, given that he's more um, super villain or comic book (laughs) constructed, if you do a movie or an origin story about someone who isn't human and doesn't, isn't uh, what we know of serial killers, then an origin story of his humanity and the way he was raised isn't going to quite jive. Mm -hmm. The only way for that to work in my opinion is if you make the origin story completely explain why he is a new breed of serial killer that we've never seen before. Right. And doesn't live in reality. Now wouldn't have that fucking 
killed the rafters yeah. and beaten up all I the reviewers. That's a, that's a big part of it for me is there wasn't anything really unusual or or life changing about the character that they it just just it fell really flat for me. I'm like it didn't really explain the Hannibal we see now. Yeah, that's exactly my point is that it doesn't explain the supervillain and it just it, it makes it tries to humanize him mm-hmm. and the point is is that he doesn't fit the laws of humanity in the world of um psychological uh the breakdown of what we know of these personalities so like it's not to say that obviously in a creative way Harris is creating something that's fictional this is a fictional character so if you're going to make a fictional character that doesn't follow the rules of what the FBI knows about serial killing or serial killers, that's fine. It's mm-hmm. a creative endeavor, but don't like backpedal at the end and try to make him like have childhood trauma and make right. him realistic, like right. make him a supervillain, make right. it, make it crazy. <laughs> yeah. Make it defy the laws, you know? Yeah. So Anyway, that's my problem with uh, Hannibal rising. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk Hannibal. He's been a very fascinating character in our culture for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think he's like one of the most popular serial killer characters of all time. Well, I think there's a an uncanniness about him. I think there's also a very despite just again despite the cannibalism and all of the oh that supposed psychopathy to this aside for a minute he when we meet him he's charming but not in a superficial way that's right he i mean i agree with that he's warm he's controlled mm-hmm. um he even though he's very polished i would not describe him as having a shallow affect nope he's not parasitic he doesn't have poor behavioral controls Mm -mm. um he's not overly sexual or promiscuous uh, that we know of anyway Mm -hmm. i mean he's he's has a sexuality and he's but he's not you know anything outside of you know what we would consider um, maladaptive in any way. So we know of some early behavioral problems, but that, I mean, he really is when, what we, what we know is this is not someone who is an opportunist and just kills to kill. He has some criminal versatility. I mean, I I think that he does take pride in getting away with, um, the things that he's done. And we see that a lot, I think in the series, mm-hmm. but overall, this is not someone who I think when we look at him and we see the blood on his face and eating people, we think he's going to score super high. But when you really break down psychopathy, he has very little, he would not meet the criteria like we were no. saying earlier. Mm-mm. No, he really doesn't. I mean, he's got a couple things, but not enough. No. Like, um, I made some notes here too. You know, we talk a lot about superficial charm you mentioned. And I think at first glance, you can sort of look at that and go like, oh, he's very charming, but we're talking about superficial charm. It's different. And I think Hannibal's charm is genuine. I do too. And I think his, obviously his intelligence is 
genuine. <laughs> and he's more intelligent than any average person could ever be kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's got that, for me, like that supervillain quality. And so then you look at, um, and I'm just backpedaling a little bit to be really clear um, just for people who are listening, if you don't understand these terms too, is it's like then grandiosity, sort of, but I don't think he's doing it from a grandiose place. In other words, he's not killing to be grand no. or to brag. No. He's not doing any of that. So so if, for the layman, if you just read, oh, grandiosity, well, yeah, Hannibal thinks he's a shit. Well, no. <laughs> I don't think he does. That's not ex- yeah. that's not what I see in his character makeup. Um, he's certainly grand, mm-hmm. and he very much likes the finer things in life, and he's mm-hmm. very intelligent and all of that. And we might project onto him that he's grandiose or narcissistic or whatever it is, but I don't get that from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's the other uh, um, uh, manipulation? So yes, is he highly manipulative? Is he clever and manipulative and smart and manipulates in order to kill? Yes, but uh, it's not what we normally talk about with like psychopathy and narcissism and all of that. Um, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you have a different thought, but like, I don't get that. I don't think it's based on manipulating people like no, he, interpersonal he, manipulation. He knows how to manipulate, right? And he certainly does in certain parts of the film i mean the series but no he doesn't have um it's not a central focus of his character it's not driving him no the the interpersonal manipulation that we've often talked about like well we've been doing a female psychopath series yeah and all of them have had that interpersonal manipulation quality and this isn't that if anything he's very straightforward He's uh, and so one of, so that leads me into the other thing. It was just pathologically lying, right? Yeah. The sociopath. Um, yeah. You know, it's like he doesn't. Mm-mm. That isn't what he does. It's not. Um, you see a little bit of it in the series with like Will. He'll, he'll make stuff up. Yeah. But I don't think that's what's driving him, nope. right? Like he doesn't get off on it. Is I guess my point. At right. least to me, I think they I think they played it up a little bit more in the series than they did in the film because they did. in the series they made him. Well, they may, certainly make him most so, more sociopathic. They in do. the series, but I don't think that's the the origin. Of but if no, character. if we're looking at the origin, or if we're looking at the way that Anthony Hopkins portrayed yeah. it, I don't see pathological lying or lying lying <laughs> pathological lying. Um, you know, being a con artist as as really central to his character. I think he's actually incredibly like curt and direct and. I think because of his delivery, it almost comes off like he's um, manipulating, but he's not. He's he's actually being, I mean, that's what made his relationship with her so incredible because he wasn't lying to her and he was incredibly direct and he wasn't hiding anything. He wasn't trying to manipulate her. I think that's part of his appeal. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we're talking about, really. When you're talking about Hannibal Lecter, you're talking about somebody who people like. Well, Besides that's, all that's that just killing it. and eating people. Of people sympathize. You know, it's <laughs> you interesting, know? too. Even in the film, they they make him, when they say, don't look at him directly in the eyes, as if he's going to manipulate or, or you know, but, and that ends up not 
he doesn't do that with no, her at all. No, they look at each other. Um, they talk about it in the criteria, the um, commentary. Like, so um, Jodie Foster talks about how when they were shooting the movie, the days were so exhausting. Yeah. Because the way Demi wanted to shoot it and the way they were doing it is with this very um, low stock film low stop film so that everything was very, very dark. And when you use a low stop film, you can't move much because it'll blur Mm -hmm. and it'll, cause it just won't work out. So when he was shooting all those tight close-ups that they do in that movie, there's so many tight close-ups. Whenever Anthony and Jody are in a scene together, it's like tight close-ups on like their eyes and their faces and stuff. And so those days when they were shooting those scenes, because of the low stop film and how dark it was, she couldn't move. Yeah. So she spent all day. That's exhausting. Just viscerally acting. Yeah, that's exhausting. That is a movie actor because movie acting is is so subtle when mm-hmm. you're looking at it in real life. And just like all, and she couldn't move. So it'd be in her eyes, it'd be in her face. And what that, what, a, what amazing, what was also amazing about that is that was just obviously they did that as filmmakers because it's congruent with who the characters were. Mm-hmm. And Anthony talks all about how like all of that restraint and his physical restraint and his choice to be standing there mm-hmm. when she walks down the hallway, that was his pitch to yeah. the filmmaker of like, it's, I want to just be standing really there powerful waiting scene. for yeah, her. It's powerful. Receptive. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all that to say uh, what you're saying, I, I just, I really dig because, um, interpersonally you're just really setting up when you're watching those scenes. And although he's only in what, like 14 minutes of the movie or something, you're just setting up that relationship and how intimate Mm -hmm. it is with her. And so back to like what we're saying about Hannibal is that he's capable of these kinds of relationships and all that. One of the correct things that he does meet is lack of remorse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, there's a few in there that he certainly meets. So lack of remorse, I would say yes. Shallow affect. I mean, he's subdued and not very expressive, but he's not shallow. In fact, I think the waters run pretty deep. Yeah. Um, Lack of empathy. I don't think he has a necessary lack of, there could be an argument about this, but like, I don't think there's enough in the context of the film to really be able to tell that, to be quite honest. I think that I, so let's talk about this just bri- really briefly is that I think that lack of em- empathy comes from, um, or is often generated by, um, like a lack of insight. Um, well, there's cognitive and into, affective, into right? Others. Yeah. So, so that'd be cognitive empathy. So if I have a lack of empathy for others, there's this like lack of insight or an understanding of what that, of what other people feel like. And I don't think that's true of Hannibal. Well, so, so here's where my debate, my, this is where my question would come in. And and sometimes we see this in people who are highly intelligent. So it doesn't necessarily mean he's psychopathic. He may have cognitive empathy, but not affective empathy. He may understand what it's like to be in someone else's shoes, but not care. Yeah. And like you said, we don't have a ton of information, but if I go about how like Anthony portrayed it, he he was very empathetic. Yeah, a lot of emotion there. Yeah, so I get that that's an actor's portrayal. I don't know. I, I assume that's I assume that's in the text too. But I think that's one of those ones where we could kind of go either way. But we we certainly can't say for sure that he lacked it. Correct there isn't and, enough. Yeah, and as we know with um, even hypothetical diagnosing, right? <laughs> we can't go with what we don't know. Right. Um, I think he does understand how other people feel. I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. I mean. 
at the end of the day, at least the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think like it's a super villain because that's not congruent with any pretty much any real <laughs> serial killer, honestly. Um, at least that's what it feels or an organized serial killer. Maybe I would say, I don't know. I can't think of one. I'm sure you can, but, um, I also think he accepts responsibility. That's the other thing. Like a failure to accept responsibility is one of the. Yeah. But I, I struggle with that one only because I think that, um, like if you look at Ted Bundy, accepted responsibility because he had to own it as a narcissist. He couldn't say that he was insane. He couldn't say it was mm-hmm. almost like, no, look at my masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So those, that's another one where, um, it, it could be either, or is he owning it because he's proud of it and he doesn't want anybody else to have credit for it? Or is he owning it because he can own it? Yeah. I mean, that, that was my kind of just my, especially on this watch through, I I really never watched all these movies with a psychological perspective before. Mm -hmm. It was always just for entertainment purposes. So Silence of the Lambs really succeeded on entertainment levels for me. And it's only now us, you and I doing this in Mm -hmm. retrospect where I'm even looking at it psychologically, but um, from a hopefully relatively professional perspective, but I, I, I get the feeling that he take would take responsibility, does take responsibility. And I guess whereas whereas he feels narcissistic, he doesn't feel like narcissistic personality disorder. No. No. So so when I think of like the failure to accept responsibility and like you said mentioning other um more, you know, obviously real life criminals um so again, this is just like another time where this character doesn't jive with like but what's he, congruent. But even if you did look at, I mean, throwing Ted Bundy back in there, he did for a long time not want to take a, I mean, he avoided, you know, that exposure for a long time. It wasn't until after he was caught and then potentially being deemed insane. Did he say, no, 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 no. I knew exactly. <laughs> I'm so good at this. Yeah. Well, Ted, um, Ted Dent Bundy is not Hannibal Lecter. No, we're, sure. but, but I mean, comparing the, the, sure. the types, I think that, um, yeah, Anthony Hopkins, his portrayal wasn't, he wasn't trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot of evasiveness, but, I think overall we know that he's not the overt primary Mm -mm. impulsive. No, he's not a primary psychopath. Yeah. But then he's also not a secondary psychopath. (sighs) No. So meaning um, for everyone, the, the, all of the factors for sociopathy, which are like sensation seeking and lack of um, like long term, lack of long-term goals, <laughs> impulsivity, parasitic lifestyle, early behavioral problems, which he probably had, juvenile delinquency, which he did maybe have. We just don't have enough information. And he also doesn't have the, if we're looking at primary psychopathy, he doesn't have that fearless dominance. He's not really mm-hmm. trying to come in and like, Mm-mm. in that Machiavellian sort of, you know, mm-hmm. we don't get that. No. Um, yeah, and secondary would be, highly neurotic sensation seeking more related to that antisocial personality disorder. Totally. Um, I mean, he has a couple of the things for the secondary has like, um, the, um, uh, versatility, like the criminal versatility or what mm -hmm. have you. That's about it. I mean, he's not impulsive. He's not, so he's certainly not socially awkward Mm -mm. and he's not emotionally reactive. 
Right. I mean, the only time you really see him reactive is in the one scene where he's in that cage. Yeah. Right. And then he, there's beats a lot the, of like maybes. Yeah. <laughs> but not enough to be like, this is his, this is his MO. Yeah. So, um, you know, and he doesn't have all of the, uh, I mean, he has, so what I think you can say is he's got all of the organized, he's got most of the organized serial killer traits, um, the above average intelligence, the preferring skilled work, the, um, inconsistent, uh, what's the other one? Inconsistent childhood discipline. We just don't know. We don't have enough information about that one. High birth order status. There's like 14 features or whatever that of organized serial killer. And he doesn't have all of them, but he has most of them. So we could like say that, but mm-hmm. we can't, we couldn't say, but I think what we're both, uh, in agreement about is that he doesn't meet criteria for psychopathy, sociopathy, antisocial personality disorder, or narcissistic, or narcissistic personality, disorder. personality disorder. So again, all that to say, again, <laughs> he's just, he's not realistic. And so that's the question sometimes people ask about Hannibal Lecter is, is this a realistic portrayal of a serial killer? Mm-hmm. No. No, it is not. No, it is not. That doesn't make him not fabulously interesting and wonderful as a fictional character, but no, not as far as like realism. This is this this trans he's he's portrayed as non unhuman. Right. Or or new. A new thing. A new which we can always have new kinds of killers. Um, but this is not in line with what the FBI or psychology knows yeah. to this date. So hmm. What was it like for you to read all, I mean, um, go back and watch all these movies? Well, just when we're watching it for this specific reason, yeah. you, you just watch it differently. You totally do. Um, and now that I've seen the series, I mean, mm-hmm. the series really encompasses like all of these movies with the exception of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to be able to go, oh, that's how they did it there. And that's what that was. And because in the series, they have more time, like with the Red Dragon. So I thought that was really cool. If you haven't seen the series, I recommend it. Um, And uh, yeah, actually, what I would say is... um, And Mads Mikkelsen is awesome as Hannibal. Very different Hannibal, but... Yeah, yeah. No, he's amazing. I mean, that's that's a situation where, you know, he brought his own thing to it and they all brought their own thing to it. And I thought it succeeded really well. Yeah. I think I would advise just sitting in it right now. I would say watch Manhunter and then watch red dragon Mm -hmm. to see the two together. Then I would watch silence of the lambs, Hannibal, Hannibal rising. If you're going to be a completionist, just watch them all. Mm -hmm. And then I would watch Hannibal, the series Mm -hmm. And feel all the good feels as far as like what we know. Like if you've seen all of that, then you can do what you're exactly what you're saying right. is you can be watching the series and be picking out Easter eggs and mm-hmm. like really going, Oh, that, you know, and you can really be in that. And then, um, we're just starting to watch Clarice. We've watched the first three episodes and we're going to talk about, um, we already talked about the first episode, I believe two weeks ago. And, we're going to talk about episode two and three on the shrink chat this week. We will. Yeah. So thanks so much for listening. Did you have anything else? No, you I, to? I think we, I think we covered that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel great about that. I've never watched all of them in one, you know, 
in a fell swoop or even looked at it in this way. So it was kind of fun for me. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for listening to our show. This is Tarot Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.